Hello and welcome to The Open Mind. My name is Devon Kelly and I'm here with Kim Dubashan. Kim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am currently a shareholder at Littler Mendelssohn PC. I'm a lawyer there and my practice focuses uh, exclusively on electronic discovery and information governance related issues. Uh, I defend companies, mostly employers, in lawsuits or investigations uh, involving employees or um, purported employees like independent contractors. And um, I've been at Littler Mendelssohn for approximately seven years. Prior to that, my practice focused on ERISA, which is retirement-related litigation. And I did a lot of appellate work, and I worked for the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation for seven years, where I was um, before I left the Assistant Deputy General Counsel. Okay. That's a lot, but I like that. I like it. Okay, um, what made you want to be a lawyer? I was confused about what I wanted to do with my life, and I was also very frustrated. I was uh, working for an investment banking firm. Um, we did most of the back-end processing and transactional work for investment companies. And um, I did a lot of work with regulations and laws that impacted transactions. And I felt that at the time that my talents were not being fully utilized. And also that some of my great ideas and all of the work that I was doing um, very efficiently that other people were being um, sort of lauded and they were taking credit for my work and my efforts. And I felt that if I went to law school, I would better be able to use my talents and also be able to get some recognition um, for my hard work and how I approach my work. Do you think you made the right choice in that decision? I go back and forth. Um, while being a lawyer has yielded a lot of benefits, it is also a very difficult profession. It's very demanding as far as your time um, you have to dedicate a lot of your um, mental energy uh, and focus to your work. You're often being pulled in several different directions. You, um, as a lawyer, you are, uh, you answer to a lot of different individuals. You answer to clients, you answer to people within your firm. Um, you also um, answer to obviously there are bar associations that regulate uh, how you you know dole out advice to your clients um, so there are a lot of people who are often tagging at you um, you also have to be very aware of how you're spending your time a lot of times I think you don't realize that if you're in private practice you're oftentimes billing clients every six minutes and in six minute increments so you have to account for everything that you're doing all the time um, and I often use a timer. So what ends up happening is I'm so focused on time and how my time is being utilized for work, it can spill over into my personal life where everything needs to be done efficiently and on time and within a certain period of time. Okay, see, that's what I find so interesting about being a lawyer is like the dedication towards it, like the amount of effort and work you put into it and like the skills you need to like be a successful lawyer. And that, that leads me to my next question is, what is the most difficult case 
you have did and what did you learn from it? Most difficult case. Hmm. I don't know. That changes as time goes on. Um, I think that the most difficult case I've worked on was probably my first federal court litigation. And it was the most difficult because I didn't know what I was doing. I was relatively new out of law school and I didn't know how to practice law per se. I knew theoretically how to practice. I knew the rules or some of the rules. I knew how to approach uh, difficult questions and issues, but I didn't know how that worked in litigation. Like that was your first time being in the field. Like you never actually applied them yet. So I didn't know the process for running a case. Right. Okay. So someone basically was like, hey, here's a case that we're working on and here are all these defendants and you need to, you know, enter into protective orders, participate in uh, scheduling conferences with the court. You have to do all of these things. And I didn't know the process and they don't teach you that in law school for the most part. They teach you how to look at issues what the law is about certain issues but they don't necessarily teach you the day-to-day how to run a case so they never gave you like the experience you have to gain that on your own you can get experience i did have some limited experience i had a clinic a lot of law schools offer clinics which basically gives law students an opportunity to take on cases. It could be in a variety of areas. It could be landlord-tenant disputes. It could be assisting with domestic violence victims. Or I worked in a, a clinic that did, a, I did an appellate litigation. And appellate litigation is very different than sort of standard civil litigation. Uh, and, and so I was in a custody, that was my experience, right? That was my hands-on experience. And even though I had worked at law firms in the summertime as a summer associate, I still didn't know how to run an entire case by myself or as a second chair. And this federal case is the first time you was given a case by yourself? I was working with two other people, a more senior attorney, but he kind of handed the reins over to me to take the case and, and do what I needed to do. So, yeah, my first case, my first federal litigation, I took the my first deposition was of a a partner at a top like 100 m 100 law firm and she was a lawyer right i'm i am a baby lawyer taking the deposition of a partner who's been practicing for 30 plus years it was ludicrous and i had no experience prior to that except reading about taking depositions and maybe being present at a couple of depositions so that definitely was it was I would say that's my most difficult case just because it was what did you learn from that case since you did it like that's your most difficult i learned that i can do anything that i put my mind to that even if i don't have experience in something that i can ask people uh questions and ask for guidance and mentorship and that um i also learned to be confident that even if you don't know everything you don't have to know everything okay. like no one is expecting you to know everything all the time I, I i agree with that very much like sometimes i have to remind my remind myself that i don't know everything you know i'm 17 right. i'm still a kid but like certain things like with this podcast i'm starting mm-hmm. there's certain things like i was playing around with what i didn't know when i was 
at first I was beating myself up with it, and I was like, I'm a beginner at this. There's some mm-hmm. things I'm just not going to know I'm going to learn over time. So I can definitely right. agree with that. And you make mistakes. Just like you said, you're 17, you're learning. When I was running that case, I made tons of mistakes. I didn't even know what I didn't know. And now looking back on it, over a decade, I don't know how many years later, more yeah, probably 15 years later, if not more, um, would I have done things differently? Absolutely. But I, I had to go through that process and figure it out myself. Okay, so I want to piggyback off of what you said before on um, when you had people teaching you on your first case and stuff like that. My next question is, do you have a mentor right now or had a mentor in your career? And where, when did you guys meet? Like, how did you guys meet? And what did you learn from that mentor or mentors? That's a great question. So I've had many mentors. I've also had sponsors, and I think there's a distinction. So a mentor is someone who you can go to, and they will provide guidance and a roadmap on what are your goals, what are your career goals, making sure you're defining those career goals, that you're laying out the steps that you need to take to achieve those career goals, um, and giving you feedback and encouragement and motivation. That's what I view as a mentor. I think that's a great definition of a mentor. Like it's dead on what a mentor does. And and I've had many of those over the course of several years. Um, I've also had sponsors and sponsors are people who have influence, who are invested in your success and who actively pursue opportunities for you to make sure that you um, succeed, that you achieve your career goals, that you are being put in the right places, in the right position to be successful, whatever that means for you. Um, And I've had many sponsors. Those are people who actively look for opportunities for you to move forward, whether that be promotions, creating positions for you, or who are contacting other people about you to let them know, hey, we've got this talented person who is looking for an opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. I think this person would be fantastic. Would you like to have coffee with her? Okay. That's actually my first time ever hearing about a sponsor. Like, I never even knew that was a thing. And, like, yeah, I like that definition a lot. But, um, so what is your most recent mentor? My most recent mentor was probably a woman um, in our firm. She's a, a shareholder at our firm. Her name is Theodora Lee. She actually owns a, a vineyard and a line of wines called Theopolis. Uh, she was uh, assigned to me as a mentor when I was on the way to becoming a shareholder or partner at my firm. And what she did was she said, you need to have a plan. And she said, I've got this written plan down. It's it's a template document. And she said, let me know what you need for me. What do you want me to do for you? And when I didn't have an answer for her, she said, here's this plan. She called it a business plan. And it was like three or four pages. She said, take that business plan and fill it out. Mm-hmm. That business plan was essentially, what do you want to accomplish in the near term? What do you want to accomplish in the long term, what are the things that you need to do, the steps you need to take to achieve those things? 
Also, what are some networks that you can become involved in to propel your career forward and to give you the kinds of connections to get to that net, to that next step? And so um, she was also holding me accountable. So she was she said, you need to write it down and you need to follow through. And we would have monthly calls. Um, unfortunately, those got interrupted just because of COVID. Uh, but initially we had set we had established a monthly check in just to sort of figure out, hey, how's it going? What do you need from me? To see if you're on the right track, you know. Do you need anything? How can I help you? That's what that person was doing. Is there anything that you're having problems with? No, okay. But the funny thing is, when I filled out that business plan, when you write something down, it helps you to commit to it. So when I wrote that business plan down, I actually did everything on that business plan over a two-year period. Okay. So, and, and it wasn't like I went back and checked on the business plan every month. I didn't, right? I checked on the business plan maybe over six to nine months, maybe. But when I looked back two years later, I had done everything that was on that business plan. So what, like, what made you do everything on that plan? Like, did you have it in your head and mind that you was going to get all that done? Or like, it just kind of fell into place? I think, again, when you write something down, whether you're typing it or you're writing it in a journal or a diary, when you're defining what you want and how you see your life, when you put it down into something that's tangible, it's not just in your head floating around. It's on a piece of paper. It's on a, a tablet or a computer. It helps to crystallize into something that you you need to work on and I think it it sort of gets embedded in your head. Like, this is something that I'm going to work towards. Okay. So have you ever mentored somebody or do you have a mentee? Yes. I've had a few. Several. So if someone, <laughs> like, if someone, like, maybe my age, right, 17, someone approached you and they said, I want to be a lawyer. What is, like, the advice that you would give them if they asked you advice to be a lawyer? Hmm. What do you think be the greatest advice you can give them? I would ask them why they want to be a lawyer. Okay. What's your motivation? What do you hope to accomplish? That's sort of the, the, the most essential question. Why do you want to do this? Because it requires a considerable amount of investment with your time, your effort, and, and financial investment as well law school is extremely expensive and um just going through undergrad can be a lot right just going through college those four years can be difficult so to dedicate another three years to doing to to finishing law school and law school tuition is astronomical it's probably more than fifty thousand dollars per year i'm sure it is um so it's a huge investment so I would say, why? Why do you want to do it? Is it because it looks cool or it sounds cool or it's going to impress people? If that's if that's the answer, then don't do it. If it's because, you know, I think, you know, I can really, you know, I really love analyzing complex issues and I really want to do like, I'm or I'm interested in like international trade and I want to, you know, 
I want to have a, a law practice that focuses on international trade. That that seems like you know I, I love global issues, or I want to be I want a career in politics. And I think being a lawyer and understanding like that process of how people think and analyze issues, and also just how policy works and how legislation works. If that's what you want to do, then then great. That's a a great you know those are those are good answers as to why you would want to be a lawyer. Okay, so. Let's say that same person also asked you, like, since you're a lawyer, what is the most useful skill you think a lawyer should have or no? Hmm, useful skill. I think the most useful skill is being open to criticism. Okay. And criticism doesn't have to mean negative all the time. It's often very constructive. Sometimes it doesn't feel constructive, but it is. But being open to criticism, that means other, other people's critiques of your work product or your approach or your tone or delivery or how you function. Just because someone criticizes you doesn't mean they're correct. But sometimes there could be a kernel of truth. Um, it, it's also not supposed, always supposed to be taken as something negative about you. Sometimes... Mm-hmm being open-minded just be open to their ways to improve right there's there are criticisms that are not like you did something bad but here's how you can approach this next time or this is how you can improve um how you approach this issue or this is how you know or this client likes um when people copy them on certain types of communications and you know, those are things that they're not critiques as far as like who you are in a negative way. They're giving you tips oftentimes. So I just say be open to criticism um, and and don't sort of bristle at it. It's not always about failure. Yeah. See, that I love that so much because that, that's pretty much why I named this podcast Open Minded. It's about being open-minded, learning new things that you probably have never heard before, hearing new perspectives, opinions, like nourishing yourself in information to where you become open-minded. Like, you know there's more out there than what you originally thought. Right. You know, I don't, like, I see people that are small-minded. Like, they don't like criticism. They don't like to hear other people's opinions and i feel like that's limiting yourself because we often learn as human beings from others like for example like learn how to walk we learned that from our parents right so we got to learn how to be more open-minded accept criticism and learn how to listen you know exactly so on that note also want to ask you what motivates you to keep going like when things get hard like what motivates you it keeps you going. Uh, the primary motivation is paying my bills. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that can motivate a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> independently wealthy, so that is a motivation. Is um, yeah, keeping the lights on, keeping a roof over my head, and paying my bills. Okay. So, um, has there ever been a time that you took a case or any time in your career where you felt afraid, like, while you were taking that case? Like, you were just afraid. All the time. All the time? So... I mean, I'm not going to say all the time. It happens. It certainly happens. Yes. 
So what gets you through that fear? That's a good question. So I don't know. Have you heard of imposter syndrome? Before? Um, no, I don't think I have. Okay. So I ha- I suffer from imposter syndrome sometimes. I-, I used to suffer from it a lot. Imposter syndrome basically is, um, to describe it, is when you think that you're not worthy of being in the position that you're in. Like you're not smart enough. You're not sharp enough. And that you don't belong here and you're going to fail and everybody's going to find out that you're a fraud, mm-hmm. that you're an imposter. I think I've experienced that a couple of times, actually. You have? Yes. In fact, um, starting this podcast, like when I was thinking about it, I was like, is this the right area for me? Like, do I belong? And what I told myself is, I'm not going to know until I try. That's right. That's what I told myself. I was like, I, I won't lie, I was a little nervous starting it. But as I begin the process of buying the equipment and playing with it like i remember the first time i turned this thing on i got so excited i was like i think this is an area i belong in and doing this interview with you right now i beginning to realize more like i like it more but i think i definitely suffered from that when i first the idea popped up in my head like do i belong there or not the only way i think i would know is if i try exactly but don't continue with your yeah so so i had imposter syndrome and I remember when I was, the year I was up for partner, I got a very big case. And one of my, it was actually, the client was one of my colleagues' close friends. And so I had to make sure that my colleague was well represented, right? That, that I, I represented her well. And also that her client was satisfied and did a good job on the case. And I, my colleague because she was worried and wanted to make sure that the her friend was getting fantastic client service and a superior legal work product, she would email me and text me and IM me all the time. Did you do this? Did you do that? And it made me second guess myself. And I recall it was right before Easter and I was traveling somewhere and I got off the plane. I was I opened up my phone and it was a ton of texts and emails and this needed to be done and that needed to be done and I was like I just wanted to melt into the ground because I was like I don't know what to do you're overwhelmed I was overwhelmed and then I started feeling like I can't do this I don't know how to do this and I eventually had to get to a point where you just sort of push through and then I told my colleague I said hey can you just back off for a bit yeah, I think just give me a moment to just get my bearings and figure out how to move forward with this. I need to like write down a strategy and figure out how we're going to move forward and how to address these issues. And I'd be happy to follow up with you and run that by you to see if you have any ideas too. And that was helpful because I felt like my colleague was almost manic the way that she was pinging me like breathing down your neck yeah and it really <laughs> it sort of put my imposter syndrome like in overdrive like, and i was hey, like what am i space. doing here right <laughs> so yeah so that was that was difficult but i got through it and again part of that was because i had to say hey can you just back off for a little bit just so i can figure this out and and then we can move forward and and it and it went off without a hitch and it was had a, had a good resolution to the case so Okay, so... And everyone was happy. My colleague was happy. Her client was happy. 
everybody was happy except the other side. Damn. <laughs> I love that there was a little happy ending there, but um like that. Um but as I'm talking about uh imposter syndrome, since I'm new to it and I'm kinda looking at it from a different angle, I'm like I'm not saying this is a cure for it or anything, mm-hmm. but my intake on it, if you're suffering from imposter syndrome and you're questioning yourself if you belong here, I think this is how you figure out if you belong there. If you truly love what you're doing and you enjoy doing it, you belong there. No one else has the right to tell you you don't belong there. Only you do. So as for anyone that suffers from that imposter syndrome a lot, I want you to just ask yourself, do you enjoy what you're doing? And also, why do you think you don't belong? Yes. Because if it's if you can't come up with an answer about why you don't think that you belong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was gonna say that um there was a like a, a, a therapist someone with a like a PhD in psychotherapy or uh, who spoke at one of um my firm's event and she actually has a podcast and she talks about imposter syndrome and about how people don't feel like they're worthy sometimes of good things or being in certain um important places or just certain spaces like they don't belong and it's part of it's because you've been somehow conditioned to think that you're not worthy of being in those places so i think one of the antidotes is to cultivate a strong self-image where yes, they, looking in within. Right, and saying I'm I'm smart, I'm talented, I'm whatever whether it's I'm beautiful, I'm whatever, right? And I belong to be where I am. So That also reminds me of something um I can't remember which video this was, but it was a YouTube video I came across of. And it was talking about a shadow. It said um draw a little box and that box is your shadow. And think of anything, like any negative thing that is holding you back. And as I was writing my box, a bunch of it, like, I'm talking about every last one of them, said fear. Hmm. Fear of uh, what others think. Fear I might mess up. Fear um, I'm not good enough or whatever. And whatever, sub I forgot what I wrote it about, but it was a subject that I was going towards. And then, like, say months later, I came back and I found it. Like, I was just cleaning up my room, stumbling up on all the files and stuff. Ended up um, picking that paper up and I looked at it and it said my shadow. And after like rereading it and looking at it, I was like, well, I just everything is just fear. Like that's the only thing that was holding me back was fear. Nothing else was physically holding me back. It was just fear. Mm-hmm. And when I learned, especially with this podcast, when I learned to just jump into it, the fear didn't really have any more power. The fear only has as much power as you allow it to. And the way it does that, from my own personal experience, it tells you lies in your head, makes scenarios. Absolutely. Absolutely. You start like, predicting what other people are going to think. You, you you start predicting what hasn't even happened. And exactly. it's negative, right? It's You're assuming that people are going to respond in a negative way, or you're assuming that you're going to mess up. And it hurts. And like it even paralyzes you for a while. Mm-hmm. But once you learn to just go for it, it's n- like you will quickly realize it's not as bad as you thought it was. 
even if you even if people do say negative things or even if something doesn't go how you planned even if you quote unquote fail you've still done it Mm -hmm. you've gotten over it and you're not dead yeah you're not gonna collapse right that's just the fear lying to you right and i think another video i just came across was um discipline and it just popped up on my page or whatever the home page and i clicked on it and he was kind of touching on that too he said um the way you master discipline is just think of the things that you don't want to do and you just do it like you don't have to do a major step but like you just do it and you're going to quickly realize it's not as hard as you really thought it was that's the same approach i would think i would take towards fear like there's something i'm afraid of like what i just did right now this podcast thing i just do it and to come to a realization is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right. It actually goes pretty great most of the time. Right. That's great. But that um, leads me to my next question. Uh, what is one thing in your career like that affected you like entirely, affected your whole career? Uh, one thing that affected my entire career is the recession of 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. So I went to law school later in life. I already had a career and I worked for about, geez, 10 years before I graduated from law school. So between my undergraduate degree and me graduating from law school, 10 years had elapsed and I worked during that time period. And I was also going to law school. And so when I graduated from law school, I had two offers for jobs. And I took one of the offers for a job and I was very excited. And then the recession hit and it was awful. And when it came to the legal community, uh, a lot of law firms either completely dissolved, closed their doors, and the law firms that were able to stay open and continue operating were, they called it deferring their new associates which basically said, we're just going to put you on pause for a few months. And once the economy recovers, we're going to bring you on and you can work for us. Well, that deferment lasted for, for some people a year or longer. And that meant that you graduated from law school and that job that you thought you had, you did not have. So the money you thought you were making, you, did you not were make. not making. So at the time I graduated, the firm that I was going to work for said we're deferring our next year's class. And so I effectively did not have a job uh, for almost a year. So what did you do to like get by or like make it through? So when I had worked as a summer associate, they pay you pretty well. And so I had saved a significant amount of that money. Um, in the bank. So that floated me for quite some time. And, um, and I ended up getting a clerkship. I worked as a law clerk actually for a federal agency. They hired me to work for 90 days. So three months and they paid me. So I had a salary and they actually liked me so much. They asked me if I would stay on and I ended up staying on. But that was probably the most difficult part of my life because I didn't, I invested a significant amount of time and money into going to law school. I thought I would have a job 
somebody said, hey, we think you're great. We want to bring you on. And then all of a sudden, the economy completely collapses, and I did not have a job. So I didn't have health insurance, for example. I didn't have... And I had a home with a mortgage, and I had a... My daughter was... I think Ariana was maybe eight years old at the time so she was and she was in private school so it was it was very difficult to to sort of figure out how to navigate that but I ended up surviving I didn't die right (laughs) I didn't I wasn't homeless I ended up paying my bills and I was still able to do all the things that I needed to do and survive so you'll still be able to preserve through okay so I think my final question would be um what is the most successful moment in your career and what did you learn from it? Like, why do you think it was so successful? The most successful moment. I don't know if there is a single moment because things keep changing and evolving. I think when I made partner that was or shareholder in my firm, that was probably my most successful moment. And the reason for that is that was never my intention. I never planned to be a partner at a law firm or a shareholder at a law firm. That wasn't part of my trajectory when I started out. And I didn't care about it. When I was in law school, I, I didn't even think about this. That wasn't part of my plan. So I think what makes this the most successful moment is that although it wasn't a sort of long-term goal that I had for years and years and years, once I did decide that that's what I wanted to accomplish, I did the things that I needed to do to accomplish them. And, and it was in a way for me it was a validation of my efforts so it was in my mind it's other people were valuing the work that i did how i interact with my colleagues how i interact with clients my work product it was a validation of all of those years of effort that i put in so i think that's probably why it was so what you're saying is like your hard work paid off like in a way yeah it was it was an acknowledgement of the hard work and it was also and it was also me deciding to do something and and executing it okay well thank you for joining me on my podcast thank you for having me and maybe yeah, next time i can ask you questions oh if you would like to <laughs> if you got any right now you can you can definitely ask me some i don't have any right now but then you are more than welcome to join <laughs> me in the future. Great. And Thank this so is much. the open mind. And I guess was Kim Dupachan.